just bless the Lord one more time this evening, church? He's worthy of our praise. I'm not used to getting up and down on Wednesdays. <laughs> so I've got to get back into the, the swing here. But it is good to see you in God's house. I pray that you have come expecting to receive a word and hear from God. Because that's what he wants to do, just like we sang tonight. He wants to write something on our heart, amen, that helps us to become a little bit more like him. Tonight I'm continuing our series on the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. It's the, the, the original portion of his sermon, and it is the Beatitudes. Tonight we are going to look at Blessed Are the Merciful in chapter 5, verse 7 of Matthew. Uh, and... What I want us to always remember, and I'm not going to get into it too quick, but this is, these are progressive. The Beatitudes are progressive. You can't have one without the other. You can't look at blessed are the merciful unless you've looked at all the rest and you've made sure that you've applied those principles and those truths into your lives. So if you want to obtain mercy, you've got to be merciful, but you've got to be all those other things that are in front of it. But how many of you are thankful for God's mercy and God's grace? thankful that his mercies are new every morning and that his loving kindness endures from generation to generation. And I I don't know about you, church, but I know every morning I need God's mercy. Every morning I need God's grace. And we can't afford to forget that fact, church, no matter how good we think we are or how long we've been in the faith, we need God's mercy and we need God's grace. How many of you know that since God has shown us mercy that we should show mercy to others as well. And that's exactly what this beatitude is all about. This is what Jesus is teaching his disciples as he sits on the side of the mountain when he talks about being merciful. This is what we're going to look at this evening. But before we do, I'm going to pray one more time. I know I've already prayed, but we're going to pray again. And uh, pray that I would get what I need and you get what you need. Heavenly Father, we just thank you once again for how good you are. How you never leave us and never forsake us. I'm thankful, Father God, that that I don't have to stand up here alone. That I can stand here, Father God, under the anointing of your Holy Spirit. That your presence can be with me and your presence can be with your people. And we confess our need for that, God. We need you to be with us tonight. I need you to be part of my thoughts and part of my words and part of everything that I do, God. Even my physical movement, I I pray that you would be a part of all of it, God. That you would direct your words this evening by the power of your Holy Spirit. Be with your people, God. I pray that you would give them ears to hear and hearts to listen. Glad hearts that are willing to receive what you want to speak into our lives, God. Let there be no distraction, Father God, amongst us, Lord. Let us forget again about the the trials and the struggles of this week so we can dedicate and devote this time to you. Because you want to write something on our heart. You want to instill something into our mind and into our spirits, Father, so that we can be more like you. And we thank you that you even allow us, Father, that privilege and opportunity to come into your house. So we reverence it and we make the most of this opportunity in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. One of the very first things we have to... This this particular lesson, I'm hoping is not too teachy, but it's going to be a little bit teachy. If you want to take some notes, I, I hope that you do that. But just like Jesus was trying to teach his disciples something, I want to teach you the very same thing. But one of the very first things we have to remember about this teaching on the merciful is that it, mercy begins with a broken and a contrite heart. 
Mercy begins actually with a heart that knows it needs mercy itself before it can ever offer mercy to someone else. The reality is all of the Beatitudes that we've looked at and all of the Beatitudes that are still to come that that Jesus refers to in this sermon that we're looking at requires and begins with a broken and a contrite heart. Because until our heart of stone and stubbornness, church, becomes broken and soft and contrite, Until a heart of stone is replaced, like the Bible says, with a heart of flesh, the character of Christ can't be developed within us. Until our heart of stone and heart of sin becomes a heart of flesh that's been touched by God, we can't be like God. I can't be merciful. I can't be kind. I I can't be all of those things that God desires for me to be. So what I want us to understand is that all of the Beatitudes and the characters and the attitudes we're supposed to have begins with a broken and contrite heart. It's exactly why Jesus made the very first Beatitude the one that he did. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because without a broken and contrite heart, we cannot experience the blessings of God. Without a broken and contrite heart, we can't experience the goodness of God or the promises of God or the faithfulness of God in our lives. Without a broken and contrite heart, and I'm leading into it, not re-preaching, but without a broken and contrite heart that understands it needs a Savior, first and foremost, above everything else, church, the kingdom can't be ours. I'm going through the Beatitudes, understanding that without a broken and contrite heart that mourns over its sinful condition... We can't be comforted concerning that sinful condition without a broken and contrite heart that's willing to walk in humility and meekness like we learned a couple weeks ago. There is no inheritance for us. We can't expect to inherit anything good from God without a broken and contrite heart, church, that hungers and thirsts after the good things of God. We can't expect to receive the good things of God in our lives. It all begins with a broken and contrite heart that understands it desperately needs something from God. And tonight we're going to discover that without a broken and contrite heart that cries out for mercy like the publican did that went into the temple to pray one day, we can't receive mercy, we can't obtain mercy, and we certainly can't bestow it upon someone else. The only way you and I will ever be merciful towards someone else is if we have first received mercy ourselves. And the only way that you will ever receive mercy is if you cry out for it. And the only way and reason you'll ever cry out for it is if at some place, at some time, you had a broken and a contrite heart concerning the sin that was in your life. I, I say all that so you continue to get this idea that the Beatitudes is a process towards godliness. It is a process towards spiritual maturity. You can, you can encounter and go through all sorts of junk and troubles and struggle in your life and wonder why God isn't being merciful. Well, don't expect to obtain mercy unless mercy has been, first been bestowed upon you because you cried out for it and realized that you needed it. How many of you know we need mercy? Amen. You see, there's a lot of people out there, church, that don't think they need mercy. They don't think anything is wrong in their life. They don't see a need for a Redeemer. They don't see a need to get on their knees. They don't see a need to weep and ask for God's mercy. And those same individuals that have not obtained mercy can't bestow mercy on someone else. How many of you know this world needs mercy? And it's why God wants us to be merciful. Because remember, we're His feet. We're His hands. We're His heart. 
We are supposed to be Jesus Christ. Again, remember, it's what these Beatitudes are all about, the attitudes we are supposed to be. And that's what we're going to discover today, that without a broken and contrite heart that cries out for mercy, we can't receive it and we can't bestow it. Because we already know that God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble, the Bible says. And I want to teach you another thing here. How many of you know that wherever there is grace, wherever you find grace, mercy's already been there. Wherever you experience the unmerited favor of God, I want you to understand that mercy's already made a way. You can't have grace without mercy. Mercy is, mercy is not receiving what you deserve, but grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Well, there's no way you can receive the grace of God without first experiencing the mercy of God in your life. They go hand in hand. I want you to understand that grace walks in the wake that mercy leaves behind it. So when God, here's what I want you to understand. When he says that God gives grace, he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's actually saying as well that he gives mercy to the humble as well. So he's saying that mercy, he is merciful to those with a broken and contrite heart, but he sets himself against the proud. Now, to fully understand this beatitude that Jesus is speaking on, we have to understand the definition of mercy. And I'm going to take a little while to cover this because the better we understand the depth of God's mercy and what he's talking about when he speaks of mercy, it gives us a greater understanding of what we are to be towards others. Because mercy has a real deep meaning according to the teaching of Jesus Christ. In the English language, there isn't one single word all by itself that's able to describe the mercy Jesus is talking about on this side of the mountain. In the English language, we use multiple words to try to express this word mercy. We use and hear words like compassion and forbearance and pity and sympathy, and forgiveness, and kindness, and a word called tender-heartedness. All of these things are magnificent words. These are all magnificent traits that we should have inside of us. They are divine, godlike traits that we should have inside of us. Yet all of these English words combined, they still don't completely reveal the depth of the word mercy that Jesus is teaching his disciples on the side of the mountain. How many of you know, you you should all know this, Jesus didn't speak in English. Okay, when Jesus spoke, he spoke in, he either spoke Greek or he spoke Aramaic or he spoke Hebrew. A lot of you might not realize this or might be disappointed to understand that that, that the Bible wasn't originally uh, the King James. It wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. And to truly get the full understanding of the English translation, there's times you've got to go look at the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic. And it's what we're going to look at tonight to understand the depths of mercy that he's speaking about. Paul gives us a little more insight into this thing called mercy and the merciful in Ephesians 4 and 32. When he says, be ye kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. I want you to be the same towards others. Paul was saying, I want you to be kind. Remember what the Beatitudes are? I, like I told you, I taught the young people. Attitudes were supposed to be. When Jesus is teaching the disciples these Beatitudes, he's literally saying, I want you to be this. And the individuals that are this are blessed. So please grasp this. He's saying, be kind. 
He's saying, be tenderhearted. He's saying, be forgiving one to another. He was saying, be like Jesus Christ, who is merciful. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us and was merciful towards us, He expects us to be merciful towards others. And this is what Jesus is teaching His disciples. And listen, yet, as powerful as that passage is, as powerful as this meaning is, and, 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 and as... As responsible as we should be towards this passage that that Paul speaks to, to his disciples, it still doesn't fully describe mercy like Jesus was teaching on the side of the mountain in Matthew chapter 5. In the English, I'll go on. Mercy also means, and I keep having to say it also means, because this is the depth of what mercy means. It's not just one word. It is a lifestyle. It's an attitude. It's something that God actually deposits in our life. And we need to understand the meaning of it so we can bestow it on someone else. In the English, mercy means compassionate rather than severe behavior towards another. It is withholding the judgment that one actually deserves. In the English, mercy is benevolence, mildness, or a tenderness of heart that treats an offender better than he deserved. And how many of you know God's treated us far better than we deserved? How many of you know that God has treated, not just did treat us, He treats us every single day better than we deserve? I think we forget sometimes what we deserve. I think we forget sometimes that even though we've been in the faith for five years or ten years or fifteen years, that we still need mercy. I might even, I might be in the choir. I might be a musician. I might sit in my favorite seat for ten years. I might serve in a ministry. I might have a high position. But let me tell you, we still need mercy. We need the mercy of God in our lives, church. It's why Jeremiah said his mercies never come to an end. They are new every single morning. Every morning they're new. And you see, the reality is Jeremiah, every morning he woke up, he realized that God was treating him far better than he deserved. Jeremiah realized that that every day that I wake up, God is merciful towards me. Jeremiah realized and understood that every single day, God, God, God treated even His rebellious people better than they deserved. Please understand that, church. This is, this is a taste and a portion of the mercy that God uh, bestowed upon us. Even when the children of Israel were in captivity... Even when the children of Israel were in bondage, even when the children of Israel were in hard places throughout their their history, I want you to understand that God still was treating them much better than they deserved. Because the reality is every single one of us deserve wrath. Every single one of us deserve the punishment of God and the chastisement of God. And I think we forget that sometimes. We're so high and mighty sometimes. We're like the Pharisees sometimes that because they got on their big spot or spotless robes and adorned real well that they don't need mercy. You don't see in the Bible anywhere the Pharisees crying out for mercy. You see the publicans crying out for mercy. And what God is teaching us is don't be like the Pharisees who don't think they need mercy. Be like the publican who cried out for mercy because now that publican can offer mercy as well. That publican will have more of an impact in the lives of people than the Pharisee that stood there in self-righteousness. This is what Jesus is trying to teach concerning mercy. 
How many of you know that God treated us far better than we deserve? Amen. All because of this thing called mercy. All because God so loved the world that he demonstrated mercy and not wrath. He treated us far better than we deserve because it's what mercy is and it's what mercy does. I want you to understand that mercy is something and mercy does something as well. I want you to understand that it's more than one word. It's far more than this thing called compassion and far more than forbearance. It's far more than pity or sympathy or forgiveness all by itself. It's everything that I've told you so far wrapped up into one package that looks just like Jesus Christ. How many of you know Jesus was the epitome of mercy? And he's calling us to be the same exact thing, church. The truth is God's wrath would have been warranted in every single one of our lives. And it's still warranted today. But the only reason that we're not under wrath and the only reason we're not under his judgment and and punishment is because of this thing called mercy and grace. Mercy made a way for Jesus Christ. It was God's mercy that made a way for Jesus Christ to go to the cross. Please understand that if it was not for mercy, He wouldn't have sent His Son. His Son was grace. His Son was the unmerited favor. His Son was the gift we didn't receive. But mercy was the thing that made the way for Jesus Christ. It took what we deserved and put it somewhere else. Put it on Jesus Christ. This this is the beginning depths of mercy, church. And it's what he calls us to be. It's what mercy is, and it's what mercy does. And still, with all of the definitions that I've given you so far, it's still not enough to completely understand the depth of this word mercy. So the New International Bible Dictionary defines mercy even farther and says, it is refraining from inflicting punishment, not just on others, but on adversaries and lawbreakers. How many of you know we were the breakers of the law? How many of you know we're not, we were, we're not his friend, but his foe? But because of his mercy and because of his grace, now I'm like Abraham, a friend of God. Amen? All because of mercy and all because of grace. I hope we understand that it's exactly what God did for us. He refrained from inflicting punishment on us when we were still his enemies, when we were still sinners. When we were still walking in enmity with God, when we could care less what he thought, when we were waging war against him in our spirit and in our lives, when we grieved the moment after moment after moment, he refrained from inflicting punishment that we deserve, church, all because he was mercy, all because he was grace. He took it from us. He refrained from inflicting punishment on us when we were his enemy. When we were setting ourselves against him, and guess what he did with it? He put it on his only begotten son. He put it on the precious lamb of God. He put it on the one that was completely innocent and had no sin within him, even according to man, not just according to God. There was no sin to be found within him. So, so what God did in, in demonstration of mercy, he refrained from putting that punishment on us, and he put it on Jesus Christ instead. It's why he was wounded for our transgressions. It's why he was bruised for our iniquities. It's why the punishment and the chastisement of our peace was put on Jesus. And it's why by his stripes we were healed. Because mercy made a way, church. Mercy refrained from giving us what we deserve and, and, and gave us what we didn't instead. 
which is a thing called grace. But tonight we're talking about mercy. Please understand and remember, before the blood of Jesus Christ was applied to your heart, before the blood of Jesus Christ was applied to my heart, I was an enemy of God. I was an enemy of God. There was a wanted poster in heaven with my picture on it. Wanted. And there was of you too. But listen to me, the wanted poster that was in heaven was to save us and not destroy us all because of mercy. I won him. Not because I want to destroy him, because I want to save him and give him life. We were his enemies, church. And sometimes we still are. Whenever we grieve God, Whenever we walk in our own ways instead of the ways of God, whenever we shun the things that we shouldn't shun, whenever we get caught up in the things of this world, whenever we admire the things of the world, whenever we lust after the things of this world, we put ourselves at enmity with God. We make ourselves enemies of God. We're lawbreakers, church. It's what we do all the time. We break the law. We're lawbreakers, and it's why we needed mercy, and it's why we needed grace. Amen? Before the first beatitude was even spoken, we were all lawbreakers. We were guilty as charged, church. But God, in His great mercy, refrained from inflicting His wrath, and He demonstrated mercy instead. You see, the reality is the only hope that we have as, as, as believers is in the mercy of God. The only hope we have is that when the gavel of God comes down to sentence our soul, that he does so with mercy and he does so with grace. You know, in the public court system, when someone commits a a heinous crime and they know what their punishment is, they know... What, what extent of the law could be loaded upon them. They know how severe of a punishment could come upon them. They walk up before the court or they walk before the judge, the one that has the authority to sentence them, and they throw themselves on the mercy of the court. That's why the publican, when he went into the temple, said, Have mercy on me, because I know what I deserve. But I'm asking for mercy. To make its way into my life. So, so listen to me. If we cry for mercy in the, in the physical realm and in the natural realm when we break man's law, how much more should we desire mercy when we break the law of God? When we break the divine law of the one that created us and give, gave us life and, and every day gives us new mercy. When we understand the depths of mercy and how much He did for us when we don't deserve it, and how much He refrained from punishing us when we did deserve it, it helps us to be merciful in return. It helps us to be more like Jesus Christ. It helps us to be the salt and the light that, he, that Jesus preaches about right after He teaches the Beatitudes. You see, you can't be salt. I keep going back to it. You can't be salt and light without being merciful. You can't be salt, you can't be light, you can't have an impact in this world. You can't, you can't let your light so shine before men so that they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven unless you've got a spirit of mercy inside of you. You understand what I'm saying? This is what Jesus is teaching the disciples. I know I've preached it, but I'm going to preach it again. He preached this sermon so they could change the world. And He's preaching it to us as well. He's preaching these words to us so we can have an impact in a world that's lost and dying and needs mercy, church. 
He displayed mercy, and now He wants us to bestow mercy upon this world as well. It's what draws them in. Mercy is salt, and mercy is light in a dark and dying world. So those who are recipients of mercy should now be mercy themselves. Like I said, Jesus was teaching, I want you to be this, and we need to be mercy. We need to be merciful to a world that needs it, church. What Jesus is teaching us in the Beatitudes is that one of the greatest signs of a true disciple is mercy. When you find someone that's merciful, you know God has had a, had a place in their life. When you find someone that is genuinely merciful, church, that person has been touched somehow by God. That person has received mercy upon themselves and upon their soul. And that's how we can judge ourselves. Truth is, mercy should be flowing from every single believer. Mercy should be flowing, not condemnation, not wrath, not punishment. Mercy should be flowing from our veins. It should flow and be attached to every word that comes out of our mouth. It should be part of our thought process. It should be part of what we say and what we do as Christians. It should be part of who we are. Mercy. We are called to be merciful. Every individual who's been the recipient of mercy should be mercy themselves. Why? Because I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And if it wasn't for mercy, I'd still be lost. If it wasn't for mercy, I'd still be blind, and I still couldn't see. But because he refrained, church, you understand what I'm saying? His punishment upon me and offered me grace. Now I'm found. Now I can stand up here and preach about the kingdom of God and, and the Beatitudes. I couldn't do that without mercy, church. The Greek word for mercy used in Matthew 5, 7, which Jesus is teaching on the side of the mountain, is eliman, which actually almost means the same thing as our English word merciful. However, in this passage, when Jesus was standing on the side of the mountain, he wasn't speaking in Greek. He was most likely speaking Hebrew or he was most likely speaking Aramaic. And the word used in that language is the word chesed, which means so much more than maybe like the word sympathy that we talked about or to feel sorry for someone or to. It means much more than being kind or being tender hearted. It means so much more than that chesed or mercy in the English. In the Aramaic and the Hebrew means kind of this. And I'll define it as I go. It's actually the ability to get inside the other person's skin so that you can see things like they see it. So you can hear things like they hear it. So you can feel things like they feel it. So you can understand like they understand and experience what they're experiencing in their life. It's almost like a divine empathy that can only be produced in a heart like I talked about last week, which hungers and thirsts after the character of God. Remember, I taught you last week, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. And I taught you that the righteousness Jesus was referring to was a desire to have the character of Christ. Those who hunger and thirst after the character of Christ in their life. You want to know one of the greatest characters Christ had was mercy. And this is what I want you to understand, that, that, it, that, that the mercy that Jesus is talking about literally gets inside of the other person and understands their life situation like it was their own. It feels their pain like it was their own pain. 
It sees their anguish like it was their own anguish. It sees their hurdles and their giants and their obstacles like it was their own hurdles and obstacles and giants. It feels the sadness they feel, the sorrow they feel, the hurt they feel, the rejection they feel, the pain they feel. It it, it experiences with them the very thing that they're going through. How many of you know that if you actually understood what most people were going through, you'd treat them absolutely differently? You see, I want you to know that the mercy Jesus is talking about here, it's like the husband stepping inside of his wife to understand what she's going through. It's the wife stepping inside the husband to understand what he's going through. It's stepping into the shoes of our teenagers to, to understand what they're going through in their generation. This is kind of, not all, all, all the way, but kind of what Jesus is talking about. Chested is a a sympathy which comes from the inside out. It strives, like I said, to see things as others see them and feel things like others feel them. The word sympathy that is actually used to define mercy in this case is from two Greek words. And I know I'm being teachy, but I want you to understand that. It comes from two Greek words. Sin, which is S-Y-N, which means together with. And pashain, which means to experience or to suffer. So according to the word of God, the sympathy that comes from the mercy I'm talking about means to experience or suffer together with the other person. To experience or to suffer along with the other person. Literally going through what they're going through, just like Christ did with us. How many of you know Christ went through everything we could ever go through? We might not think, that. oh, that's no way. But the Bible tells me otherwise. The Bible tells me Jesus went through more than you and I would ever go through. And so he completely understands what we're going through, church. He understands us. Remember, Jesus became a man. He became a man, the Bible tells us. Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us. He walked among us. He ate among us. He did everything that we did as human beings. Jesus, the Bible says, took on human nature, human likeness, the Bible says. I'll say it like this. He put on our shoes and he put on our clothes and he put on our skin. That's what the Bible teaches. He was made in human likeness. He became flesh. He put our flesh on him so he could understand our weaknesses. So he could understand our sorrows. So he could understand the burdens and the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations we go through every single day. He put on our skin and he put on our shoes and he put on our clothes so he could feel the weight of our burden. Not just our sin. So often we think Jesus just put us on so we could bear our sin. He, he, he put us on so we could bear everything about us. Jesus understands your hurt. Jesus understands your pain. Jesus understands your difficulty. Jesus understands your impossibilities. Jesus understands the things no one else around you understands. He feels the weight of the world upon you. Not just your sin, but everything about this world. Every care, every concern, every heartache. It's what the world is filled with, church. It's filled with these horrible things. And Jesus took the weight of that entire world upon his shoulders. And he offered us mercy. He walked in our shoes, listen, for three and a half years. It's what mercy does. It steps into someone else's shoes. It walks a mile in another person's 
shoes before it condemns the way that person walks. Do you get that, church? It's what mercy does. We're so quick to judge people. We're so quick to condemn people. We're so quick to kick people when they're down on the ground. We're so quick to to cast judgment when we've never walked in their shoes. You know why we do that? It's because we don't understand what mercy is. It's because we're not acting like Jesus Christ. Jesus walked in our shoes for three and a half years all the way to the cross. He understood how severe our burdens were and He understood how severe our pain was and our suffering was that He carried our cross all the way to Calvary. He bore our burden, church. This is what we have to understand about this thing called mercy. He became intimately acquainted with all of our ways. Hebrews two sixteen to 18 says this, For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham, which is you and I, church. Therefore, in all things, all things, In every single way that you can imagine. That's the way I'll say it, and this is the way it's being preached. In all things. In every single area of your life. In every way you could possibly imagine. He had to be made like his brethren. So that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. In every area of our life, he became just like us. Listen, if he didn't, he wouldn't be a faithful priest. If he didn't, he wouldn't be a merciful priest. But because God called him merciful, that tells me he understands every single thing I'm going through. He knows my every need. He knows my every heartache. He knows everything about it because he went through it with me and for me. See, that's what mercy does. It walks up beside a brother. Like, remember, did you understand the definition I gave you? It is together with. It walks together with the brother. Walks together with the sister. It goes through suffering. It goes through hell and high water with that brother that's falling. That's what mercy is. Mercy doesn't walk up to the individual cast to the ground and overlook him and walk on by. I want you to understand that mercy walks up to the brother that's down and walks with them, picks them up, bears him, walks with them. He experiences the suffering with the brother, experiences the suffering with the sister, and is willing to carry it wherever he has to carry it. If it means all the way to the cross. Please understand that's what Jesus did with you. I think we forget sometimes that Jesus wasn't carrying his cross. He was carrying my cross. It's carrying your cross. So do you understand a little bit more what mercy is? Jesus didn't have to carry that cross. But Jesus picked up my cross. He walked with me. He suffered with me and for me. He took it even farther. He walked in my sheet. He carried that cross with me, my cross. And to give us even a better understanding, when Jesus who was made flesh just like you and me, fell to the ground and couldn't carry the cross any farther. Simon the Cyrene walked up and he had to carry the cross with them. He might have had one thought about Jesus when it began, but I promise you after he got up under the weight of that cross and walked in Jesus' shoes for half a mile, he understood exactly what Jesus was going through. And I want you to understand that's what Jesus is telling you to do and me to do. Get up under the cross and carry it for a while. 
Get up in their shoes and walk in them for a little while. Understand their pain. Understand their suffering. Understand what brought them to that place. Because if you don't understand it, you'll never lead them out of it. If you don't understand it, you can't minister to it. You can't restore that individual in a spirit of gentleness unless you understand what they've been through. Unless you are merciful and unless you've been touched by the spirit of mercy yourself. God could have left us under the weight of our own cross and crushed us with it. But he picked it up and walked with us, together with us. And he's asking us to do the same exact thing. Listen, Christianity's not easy. Why do you think he said, if you want to come after me, if you want to be merciful like me, if you want to be meek like me, if you want to have the character of me, you've got to deny yourself and take up a cross and follow me. And sometimes that cross won't be yours. Sometimes it'll be your neighbor's. Sometimes it'll be your co-worker. Sometimes it'll be the person you can't stand at the workplace. Because Jesus has called you to be merciful like He was merciful. When you remember, I didn't deserve goodness. I didn't deserve grace. You'll act the same way towards someone else. You're that much more willing to put that weight upon your shoulder and walk in their shoes So you get an understanding of where they're at. In all things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. In other words, Jesus stepped inside of our skin, church. It's exactly what mercy does. I said it before, I'll say it again. It walks a mile in another man's shoes before it judges the way that man walks. I want you to understand, everybody... Just like when someone goes through something, let me, let me say it this way. You know when Jacob wrestled with the angel? After that encounter, he walked with a limp. If you're, if you're sensitive enough in life, spiritually, you can, see the, you can see a limp in every single individual around you. And that limp is caused by something. It might be a spiritual limp. You see, I want you to understand an addiction is a limp. It it needs mercy. I want you to understand anything everybody's going through, whether they stumble with this or stumble with that, and they fall with this and they fall with that, they all need mercy like you and me. Something happened in their life. It's the work of the devil, the work of the enemy, and they all need mercy. And what God is asking us to do is to begin to see those things like He sees them, to step inside of their skin and see why in the world they ended up where they did. So you can lead them back to the path that they need to be on. We can't be the blind leading the blind. We need to understand that. And I don't want to get too far off, but please understand. This is what Jesus is asking us to do. It wears another person's burden. It carries their pain. It suffers alongside of them. Mercy restores the fallen in a spirit of gentleness. Mercy says, there but for the grace of God go I. And if I was to ever end up there... I would want mercy just the same. How many of you, uh, please understand me, it is a true saying. There but for the grace of God go I. At any moment we could fall. Any moment we could fall. That's why every single day we've got to rely on God. But I'm telling you, I, I, I pray to God I never stumble like that, never fall like that. 
But even if I fall in some little area, I still need mercy. I still need someone to pick me up. I still need someone to be sensitive to my need and not condemn me, but restore me to a right relationship with God. Only the merciful can do that. Only those that are poor in spirit can do that. Because only those that consider others more important than themselves can do that, church. Listen, I'm going to start wheeling this down in the direction that I go. But here on the mountain, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are moved by the needs of other people. That's really what mercy is. It's moved by the needs of other people. Mercy moves, but it doesn't move for itself. Mercy moves, but it doesn't move for me, myself, right. It moves for the needs of those around them. It moves for the hungry. It moves for the needy. It moves for the, the sullen. It moves for those that have no hope. It moves for those that, 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 that are lost. It moves for someone else. It doesn't move for itself, church. The merciful are those who respond to human need. The merciful are those who move among the suffering You know where you'll find mercy? You'll find mercy at a soup kitchen, feeding those that are hungry. You know where you'll find mercy? You'll find it at a clothes bank where someone's clothing the naked. You wonder where, you want to know where you'll find mercy? You'll find it in a nursing home where someone hasn't had a visit from their family in six months. You know where you'll find mercy? Where no one can find it themselves. You'll find mercy in places some of us can find mercy in places we've never been before. And this is what God is calling us to do, to take that mercy to places that we've never been before, church. Here's the ultimate example of mercy in Scripture, and it's what I'm going to close with. It take me a couple minutes, but in Luke 10, 30 to 36, I know you all know the story, but I'm going to preach it again. When an expert of the law asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And let me give you a quick intro to this because I don't want to preach it. But an expert of the law comes to Jesus, and he says to him, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he was an expert in the law. He wanted to catch Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus turns it around and says, well, what do you think, sir? What do you need to, what, what do you think? What do you say? And he says, well, you're supposed to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you speak right. And so then the expert of the law then tries to narrow his responsibility like we all like to do. And says, who is my neighbor, Jesus? That's just like us. We like to, have, you know, we like to narrow our responsibility. Well, that's pretty broad, God. Who am, I, who am I supposed to consider my neighbor? Everybody? Maybe you, can, maybe you can narrow that down a little bit so I can overlook that person and overlook that person. But Jesus says absolutely not. And this is, this is what leads into the conversation when he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went off leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Nothing more than that. No detail about the man. No, no great details. Just a certain priest was going down the road, and he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite also, when he came to that place, saw him and passed by on the other side. He saw him and he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. 
And this word again, compassion, is almost the word mercy that Jesus is teaching here. And I'll I'll show you why. Because it says, and he came to him and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you might spend, when I return, I will repay you. And Jesus said to this expert in the law, which of these three men do you feel was a neighbor? And the expert in the law said, the one that showed mercy. And Jesus said, yes, go and do likewise. He is actually saying, yes, you're right. And I want you to go and be merciful too. And so here's, here's what I want you to understand, because this is the true meaning of mercy. The true meaning of mercy actually does something. The true meaning of mercy doesn't look at someone and pass them by. The true meaning of mercy doesn't look at someone and wonder for an hour why he ended up there and then think, well, in their mind, he must have done this and he shouldn't have done that. And if he would have done this and if he would have listened to that and if he would have, he wouldn't be here. You see, I want you to understand that mercy is moved. Mercy does something. Mercy is put into action just like this, this uh, Samaritan moved and was put into action. And here's what I want to close with. I want you to look for a moment these three differences. I want you to look at the priest who was the spiritual one. He was the so-called holy one, the righteous one. He was the one whose position obliged him to compassion, obliged him to tenderness and mercy. He was a priest, the one who was obliged to step into another man's shoes and care for him, walk past one of his own people. Instead of restoring the fallen one in a spirit of gentleness, He left him lying there in a spirit of self-righteousness instead. You see, this this spiritual one could be anybody. This, this, This priest could be any one of us that call ourselves a Christian. Could be a Sunday school teacher. Could be a choir person. Could be on my hospitality team. Could be a churchgoer for so many years or a so-called Christian. But this righteous supposed righteous individual walked on by and didn't demonstrate mercy the priest listen to this the priest went on from where he was to offer up prayers in the temple while his neighbor was dying in a ditch and i want you to picture that just for a moment You got this priest who walked by in self-righteousness that didn't display any mercy in the temple of God, putting up offerings before the Lord. And in my opinion, the Lord looked upon that worship as a stench because he walked on by and did not demonstrate mercy. My point is, you can come into the house of God and worship all you want. You can practice your religion all you want. You can put on a nice suit and a nice hat and nice shoes. You can carry a big fat Bible. You can sing till you're blue in the face. But if you're not merciful, it doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't mean a thing. The Levite did the same. Listen. He's the assistant to the priest. 
He's the temple steward who had temple responsibilities and the duties to fulfill all himself. He was in line for the priesthood and he came upon this fallen man as well. Now he did a little bit more than the priest did. He actually looked upon him. The priest was too self-righteous. He wasn't about to look upon the blood and the sin and whatever put him there. He walked on while the The Levite at least walked up and looked upon him, but that's almost worse. He saw his need. He saw his wounds. He saw his hurt. The guy laying on the ground might have even murmured, help me, have mercy on me. I don't know what he would have said. He could have cried that. I don't know. But all I do know is the Levite walked on by and he went to the temple and started helping the priest do all of his religious duties. God frowned on him too. But a certain Samaritan, the Bible says, shows up on the scene and he does exactly what we did. What, what I taught you. He picked him up. He inconvenienced himself. He changed his schedule. He changed his routine. He got his clothes dirty and bloody. You understand? He took, he used his own money. He used his own time. He rearranged his life in order to help that individual that was falling. And he did it in a spirit of gentleness. It doesn't say anything about him preaching to the guy all the way to the end. He just bandaged him up and he poured out oil. It's what mercy does. It bandages those that are hurt. It pours out oil on those that are hurt. And it restores them in a spirit of gentleness no matter what it costs. No matter what it costs, church. And the sad reality is so often we're just like the first two. We're the ones that are to be about our father's business. We're the ones that are to be moved with compassion. We're the ones that are in line for a royal inheritance, but we don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to risk it. We don't want to get our hands dirty. We don't want to rearrange our schedule. I don't want to put myself in the middle of the mess because if I do, I'll never get out of it. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? The Samaritan didn't think about any of that stuff. He did not think about himself. He walked right alongside that man and he took care of it. He was moved by mercy. And that's the only question that the Holy Spirit has for us tonight. When you look at those in need... When you look at those around you, are you moved to mercy? When you go to the workplace and you see all of the stuff that's going on, does what you see cause you to be moved? When you look at the heartache and the the situations that, that life brings upon people, does it move you to mercy instead of condemnation? So that's what the Holy Spirit is asking tonight. He's saying, how many of you are willing to be moved by mercy? How many of you are here tonight and you're saying, God, I know I could be more merciful. I know that I could be a better reflection of you. And if that's you tonight and you say, yes, God, I can be more merciful. I want you to stand to your feet because this is what we're going to commit to this evening. You're just saying, God, you've had mercy on me. You, you withheld mercy punishment. You withheld wrath. You withheld judgment. And you gave me mercy 
and grace instead. And so understanding that tonight, we're simply saying the same thing. God, the same mercy you had towards me, I'm willing to have towards others, but I need your help. I need your strength. I need your guidance. I need your power. If that's you, that's what I want you to pray as we pray tonight. Father God, I just so thank you for your mercy this evening. I thank you, Father God, for not bestowing upon us what we deserve, not punishing us, not loosing your wrath upon us, Father God, but for dying for us even when we were your enemies. I thank you, Father God, that not only did you bestow mercy upon us, but you've given us, you've given us enough mercy to bestow on others as well. Because, God, you don't do things halfway. You fill us up and you fill us up to overflowing. And you overflow us so we can overflow into others' lives. Not so we can hoard those things up. But I thank you that you bestowed enough mercy on us that we now can bestow it on others. So, God, I'm praying tonight that you would teach us the depth of your mercy and help us to be merciful. I pray, God, that you would help us to be all of those words that we've put together this evening, words like compassionate and words like tenderhearted and words like forgiving and words like sympathetic, words like kind and patient. God, all of those things, I pray that you would help us to be that tonight, God. I help, pray that you would help us to walk alongside of those that are suffering. Help us to bear burdens with them, Father God. Help us to restore those that are falling in a spirit of gentleness like you restored us, God. Help us to not be so judgmental or so unkind or so impatient, God. But help us to be the opposite. Help us to be merciful. Help us to inconvenience ourselves, God, so that we might convenience and restore someone else. Help us to not be so consumed with me, myself, or I, or my own problems, or my own troubles. But help me to understand that when I show mercy, I will receive mercy. That God, when I, when I release myself to have mercy on others, you release mercy back into our lives. And because of that mercy, we're blessed. Help us to walk differently after tonight, God. Help us to see things differently than we do tonight. Help our spiritual eyes to be open to see the spiritual need that are in the lives of those around us. And help us to find a way to minister to that need, God, instead of casting it aside. You didn't cast us aside, God. You demonstrated mercy and you gave us grace. And I pray that we would be a people that do the very same thing. Thank you for your mercy tonight, God. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless the Lord tonight, church? For His mercy and for His grace. Amen. If you have a special need, I will always tarry, pray with you. Otherwise, I challenge you, under the power of the Spirit with you, to be merciful this week. Amen. Be blessed.